Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Continuing with the UK, the special relationship between the UK, the United Kingdom, Britain, Great Britain, and the United States of America. As mentioned in the previous program, our president, President Donald Trump, is scheduled to make a state visit to the UK, to Great Britain, between June 3rd and June 5th. And this will be included within the commemorations of D-Day, the Allied invasion of then-German-occupied France, which began the liberation of Europe in 1944. So what of the UK? What's wrong with the UK? Is there anything wrong with the UK, really? Or is it in as good a shape as the United States of America? Well... In the previous program, I mentioned several disturbing developments there, including the work of this one stellar barrister, senior barrister in London, Barbara Hewson, who, along the lines of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that visionary, inspirational leader here in the United States who has done so much for women and girls and children and babes and everything. So this Ms. Hewson, Ms. Hewson, who is ranked as a leading junior, even though she is a, you know, it's confusing, she's a senior barrister, but, you know, she's one of the youth movement. And she has won cases in the European Court of Human Rights, the Supreme Court, and the High Court of the Republic of Ireland. Yes. She has expertise in various areas of the British law and specializes in reproductive rights. Reproductive rights, women's reproductive rights. So naturally, she would be particularly sensitive to the concerns of women and girls. So it just stands to reason that she would be championing, lowering the age of sexual consent from 16 years of age to 13 years of age, not to liberate girls. No, 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 but rather to end the persecution of old men, including men in their 20s and 30s and very early 40s, men who have raped girls, which she happens to classify as being low-level misdemeanors. But she's a visionary like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mentioned about 
the closures of Christian schools, how the British government has created new guidelines for how school inspectors rate schools. These inspectors were told to evaluate these schools in their annual Ofsted inspection reports on how schools promote British values. Yes, brave new British values, diametrically contrary to the age-old values, Christian values, Christian morals, Christian mores. Now the new and improved, enlightened British values, akin to those in the United States of America. And so these inspectors, they visited the Durham Free School, which is akin to, somewhat akin to, a junior high school here in the States. But the ages of the students here are 11 to 13, so somehow it straddles (laughs) the end of grade school and the beginning of junior high school. Interestingly enough, it's kind of a pre-middle school, but or lower middle school. And these inspectors, they determined that the Durham Free School placed too much emphasis on religious credentials when hiring staff. They needed to hire staff irrespective of their religious beliefs. Then they could have passed muster, but... Quote, leaders are failing to prepare students for life in modern Britain, end quote. That's right, because they have to promote the new British values. And what are those values? Sodomy, meaning homosexuality, not some mistaken an incorrect definition of sodomy. Sodomy is male with male, female with female, and it gets its name from Sodom and Gomorrah, where there was rampant sodomy. Sodomite rape, but of (laughs) people that were not sodomites. But yes, the British Department of Education It is enlightened indeed, and it is promoting the sodomite agenda. As I mentioned about, there's this concern that this former standard, referred to as Section 28, is still being adhered to in schools. Oh, and it was such a terribly repressive standard, wasn't it? Oh, my. (laughs) Under Section 28, it allowed for, it included objective, mind you, objective, objective discussion of homosexuality and even discussion of homophobic behavior, reaction to that, you know. But the only thing it failed to include was outright 
advocacy promotion of homosexuality, of sodomy. Oh, how backwards can you get? How repressive, how discriminatory. And so again, I mentioned about uh, Tory leader David Cameron apologizing for his party's previous role in supporting Section 28. And, of course, he has been a champion of sodomite so-called marriage, perversion of marriage. I mentioned about, again, with regard to the plans previously for sodomite pseudo-marriages, and which, of course, have been accomplished now. Britain, too, took it upon itself to become the world's leader, the first country in the world to offer controversial three-parent fertility treatments. Three-parent fertility treatments. Yes, it goes along with all of the other horrendous corruption and perversion that is engulfing free nations. But this involves implanting genetically modified embryos into women. Now, mind you, this is all in the interest of curing incurable diseases and ailments and so forth. It is a good thing. It's a good thing. They would have us believe that this is a good thing, a good development. Now, this treatment... This procedure is known as three-parent in vitro fertilization because the offspring would have genes from a mother, a father, and from a female donor. The wonders of modern science. Something to behold. Meanwhile, the BBC has seen fit in its desire to benefit mankind, mind you, in its desire to do good for the British people. It has aired none other than assisted suicide, so-called Swiss-style as part of a debate on the so-called right to die. That's right. It has aired suicide, actual factual suicides on TV. And in so doing, the BBC, British Broadcasting, has actively promoted suicide. Leave it up to the British government to do such good as this. First, do no harm. Oh, let's get rid of that. Hippocratic Oath, let's do harm. <laughs> let's promote suicide and see where it ends. You know, oh, well, seemingly we're only promoting it for older people, people with grave illnesses and so on and so forth. However, of course, that nation which leads all others in the championing of so-called assisted suicide, 
euthanasia, referred to by some as mercy killing. They, (laughs) the Netherlands, have lowered their age for committing suicide to 18 years of age. It's only a matter of time before it goes down to 16, 14, 12, 10. How can you deny the same benefits to children that you now allow to 18-year-olds? And no, not just for grave illnesses. If someone is sufficiently suicidal, isn't that good enough reason? If someone is suffering heartache over a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend, isn't that reason enough? Yes, we have entered (laughs) the twilight zone, truly. Meanwhile, I mentioned once upon a time ago the case of a Christian radio station, British Christian radio which the title of it is Premier Christian Radio. It's not to be confused with Premier Networks back in the United States, which is a massive syndicator of programming, which is not Christian uh, in its nature. But this Christian radio station, Premier Christian Radio, back in 2001, it received an official warning from... The Radio Authority. The Radio Authority has now been succeeded by Ofcom, Office of Communications. But it received this official warning for broadcasting, quote, items that were offensive to people of other non-Christian beliefs, end quote. That's right. So, the British government in the person of its authority, its specific authority, then the so-called radio authority, now Ofcom, or the Office of Communications, governs, rules, regulates, censors, Christian broadcasting, as is the case in Canada, very strictly, very stringently. Again, these former Christian nations, which no longer are, but which instead champion Islam, among other false religions. But a yellow card, if you are familiar with soccer, known as football around the world, soccer, this matter of a yellow card being issued, for an infraction. And then if there's a red card, the player is booted from the game and perhaps (laughs) from the, the competition thereafter. But a yellow card warning was issued. And was thereby, thereafter, Premier was granted to permit to be able to continue operating. Yes, because why was that? Why, why was the British government so charitable? Why did they permit this offensive Christian 
radio station to continue to operate? Well, it's because Premier Christian Radio paid obeisance to the authority. They submitted to them. They acknowledged their errors, their sins, if you will, and put in place significant new compliance measures to ensure that such offenses would never be repeated. Glorious, really. Yes. Because some individuals out there, Muslims and perhaps Hindus and whatever, were offended by what they were communicating. The real problem with that whole scenario is this, is that a great many were offended with Jesus Christ. And faithful communication of the gospel is inherently offensive to sinners and to those who rebel against God and those who oppose God. Enemies of God are inherently, by definition, they are offended with the gospel. So you can broadcast Christian messages as long as they will only offend God Almighty and Jesus Christ (laughs) and not offend Satan and Allah, another name for Satan, and all of the enemies of God. It's, It's great stuff. Again, in former Christendom, former Christian Britain and Canada and soon to be, well, pretty much is in the United States of America. But meanwhile, I mentioned about previously Great Britain being shocked and horrified, the government of Great Britain being shocked and horrified and taken aback by the institution of these new Sharia laws in Brunei, part of the British Commonwealth. Yes. But what shocks them and takes them aback is the death sentence for sodomites and those convicted of adultery. That shocks them. The matter of people being executed, murdered for purportedly insulting the Prophet Muhammad. And again, (laughs) the gospel of Jesus Christ insults false prophets, false Jewish prophets, false Christian prophets, and certainly all of Islam and Hinduism. But anyway... Again, not not offended, not shocked about that, but only about execution of sodomites. I mentioned about female genital mutilation, about it taking place in Britain, and about there being a first trial for doing such back five years ago now. Well, Britain has become... You know, one of the world's concentrations, if you will, of Islam. And what I did not share previously is this, and this goes back five years ago. At that point in time, 
an estimated 66,000 women living in the United Kingdom had been mutilated sexually. That's right. At that point in time. And meanwhile, and this is by Islam, by Islamists, by practitioners of Islam, by that wonderful religion of peace. And at that time, 2014, April, or let me go back. The report was actually issued in 2007. So the trial was April 2014. This report that stated there were 66,000 women living in the U.K., that had been subjected to this monstrous, hellish evil. Female genital mutilation, torturous ordeal, from which a great many do not survive. And others may wish they did not. But, At that point in time, in 2007, it was 66,000 were estimated to have suffered this (laughs) in the UK. And meanwhile, another 23,000 girls under the age of 15 in Britain were at risk of suffering this. That was 2007. All right? 2007. Now, mind you, This procedure was criminalized, was made illegal in the United Kingdom all the way back in 1985. And in 2004, it became illegal to take a girl or woman abroad to have that committed. And yet all of this has taken place since. Again, those numbers only from 2007, this first trial in 2014. So where are we in 2019 in Britain? Oh, but Islam. Oh, Islam is a great religion, a great world religion. And its prophet Muhammad just, oh my, just a servant for Satan. And every time that you or I hear the term Islamist extremist, but they don't use Islamist, with they'll just say extremist, religious extremist, whatever. You need to understand that every Islamist terrorist is simply following the lead of that monstrous, satanic, false prophet, Muhammad, who served his god, Satan, who used the name Allah. I mentioned about girls trying to escape from being taken abroad and forced into marriages, if you will, right? enslaved in these, (laughs) these girls, these very resourceful girls were putting metal objects, including spoons, that's right, tablespoons, in their underwear to set off airport metal detectors and so to be kept from flying. But, oh, they love Islam, (laughs) And, of course, with regard to these forced marriages, that can also pertain to Hinduism and so forth. Meanwhile, 
this fascinating case in which this convicted Islamist terrorist bomber mass murderer from Algeria who committed a terrorist Islamist bombing at Algiers airport has been in Britain for ages. And as of 2013, he had lost his 12-year battle for refugee status. Who was his advocate during all of this? Well, British, you know, legal aid or whatever, right? Of course. He lost that battle, but he won the war because even though he lost the legal battle to obtain refugee status, Britain said that it was powerless to deport him because it would violate his human rights. That's right. This terrorist whom France deported, Britain received, and Britain could not deport, and thereafter would refuse to deport, even though it spent 12 years engaged in this battle to keep him from obtaining refugee status. He is a de facto refugee. They refuse to deport him because it would violate his human rights, this convicted Islamist terrorist bomber, mass murderer. (laughs) It's just, it is a thing of beauty. It is Britain, and it is the United States of America. Sadly, that was back 2013. Here we are six years later, and oh, things just continue. But before I continue, let me just say, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that's due to me. That's on me. So what else has been going on in wonderful, stellar Britain? Well, it has been determined by the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom that foreign terrorists, that's right, not just domestic terrorists, foreign terrorists will be permitted to use secret courts to fight deportation from Britain. Foreign terrorists, that is, a.k.a. foreign Islamist terrorists. That's the only kind they're dealing with there. Foreign Islamist terrorists who have either fled to Britain or are operating out of Britain will now be permitted to use secret courts to fight deportation from Britain in order to protect their human rights. Human rights. They've committed terrorist atrocities. They're from other parts of the world. But in order to protect their human rights, they will be permitted to use secret courts to fight their deportation. And this is despite judges 
stating that this is a clear breach of natural justice. Don't you love it? I mean, it is just, it's beyond imagination. Rational people would say this is not only unjust, this is not only irrational, this is insane and absolutely evil. But this is justice in the UK. They will be allowed, these foreign terrorists will be allowed to use other terrorists or other extremists, a.k.a. terrorists. So these Islamist terrorists will be permitted to use other Islamist terrorists as character witnesses (laughs) to provide evidence in private on their behalf without the British Home Secretary being able to seek to authenticate whether it's true or to act on it. Is that a thing of beauty or is it not? Yes, there was a landmark ruling by the Supreme Court of Britain which pertained to seven suspected Algerian terrorists, including two men involved in a ricin terrorist plot and another one who had direct links with Osama bin Laden. Yes. And these justices, these just, righteous justices, they determined that convicted or suspected terrorists namely Islamist terrorists, fighting deportation must be allowed to use sensitive witnesses in private to argue that it is unsafe for them to be returned to their home country where they might actually meet justice of a fashion. Yes. And representatives from the Home Secretary, from the British Home Secretary, will be excluded from any decision on whether such an order should be made. And they will be barred from acting on or passing on any evidence, refusing any evidence that is provided as a result. Yes. Outstanding. (laughs) And and it goes on. But uh, (laughs) it's just, it's beyond imagination. It is beyond reason. But that is British justice. More on British justice and Islam. Britain, and that, again, that went back to, what was that, 2012? That was 2012, okay, which predated the other uh, case, which was 2013. Now, moving along here to a case near and dear to many Brits, no doubt. Britain deported radical Islamist Imam Abu Qatada to Jordan. It took more than a decade to remove him. A battle of more than a decade, a legal battle of more than a decade to deport him. Even though he is a key Al-Qaeda operative in Europe, Abu Qatada, His real name is Omar Mamur Mohammed Othman. 
wanted in Jordan for retrial in several terror cases in which he was sentenced in absentia. And again, British governments, they tried since 2001 to deport him. But courts blocked extradition. They were concerned for his welfare, his human rights. And meanwhile, Britain had to ratify and endorse a treaty in order for courts to permit him to be deported. Yes, uh, and that involved, uh, that treaty involved evidence obtained against him could not be used. <laughs> it's just breathtaking. Meanwhile, this monstrous, hellish case that I'm going to share now is also from December 2013. December 2013 is when the guilty verdict was arrived at. Shockingly enough to me, uh, the courts actually convicted these two vicious, monstrous, black, Islamist, British-born destroyers of murder. And they sentenced them to five years in prison. Oh, my. Yes. Michael Adobolajo, 29, and Michael Adobowale, 22, they ran over British fusilier Lee Rigby with a car, then leaped out and attacked him while he was unconscious on the ground, attacked him with a meat cleaver and knives. This on a public street in full view of a great many onlookers and bystanders. And they tried to behead him. Then they dragged his body into the middle of the road where one of them, Adubalajo, demanded that a bystander videotape them with their hands covered in blood, and he then calmly explained for the cameras what they had done, that they were waging a war for Allah. These two thugs, these two criminals, who had been in prison previously, yes, they had been looking for a soldier to murder, and they spotted Lee Rigby. He was wearing a shirt bearing the name of a leading British military charity, Help for Heroes. Again, they were both born in Britain, and like some other famous destroyers, infamous destroyers, they were raised as Christians, but they converted to Islam as teenagers. Both, again, had been in prison for other offenses. And they took part in very high-profile Islamist demonstrations like those before the mass murder bombings of buses in London. Yes, and then this one secretary general of the Muslim Council of Britain, he said that Rigby's murder he referred to it as killing, was a dishonorable act. 
and that no cause justified it, even though obviously there was cause. Yes. Outstanding. Five years in prison for slaughtering this outstanding 25-year-old British veteran who was a veteran of having been deployed to Afghanistan and an especially hellish province there, but was active military. What if this had been Prince Harry? Because in terms of age-wise, this could have been, you know, he's, we're talking about a peer, if you will, of Prince Harry. What if this had been Prince Harry? Would there have been a five-year sentence for these two? Five-year sentence for them. That's right. Five-year sentence. And what did I say that was? 2013 when that was rendered? That was December 2013. Five-year sentence, so they are out now. They've been able to plan and plot for five years in prison so that when they were released, then they're able to commit more vicious, sadistic, Islamist, terrorist murders. His wife thought that he was safe in England after returning from active duty And it was Afghanistan, not Iraq, in Afghanistan. And he leaves behind, in addition to his wife, a two-year-old son. His wife, Rebecca, she said, quote, I just want to say that I love Lee, I will always love him, and I'm proud to be his wife. He was due to come up this weekend so we could continue our future together as a family. He was a devoted father to our son, Jack, and we'll both miss him terribly. She wasn't able to say this earlier on. She wasn't able to speak about it earlier on. But this young man, Talk about our best and our brightest. He truly was one of the best and brightest. He was described variously as a dedicated, loving family man who loved and cared for his family and was very much a family man looking out for his wife, for his young son, Jack, for his younger sisters, He always had a banter, teasing and joking with them. He would never, ever let any harm come to them. But he's been taken from them, so he cannot protect them. By these cowardly, vicious destroyers who ambushed him, who ran him down with their car, unbeknownst to him, they ran him over, and then they hop out and attempt to behead him. They were shot, they were immediately rushed off to hospital for treatment. Because after all, it would be wrong to let them die. Yes. But 
Meanwhile, going back a bit further, and again, there were many people around there, and of course, they were shocked into paralysis, if you will, as compared to jumping in to try to help. If anybody had been in a car in the street at that time, they should have attempted to run these two down before they could murder this man. But nobody went to his aid. But going back before that, 2011, eight years ago, there was a stockpile of weapons that was found. I know I've mentioned this in long any number of uh, not just months, but years, I believe uh, it's been since I've mentioned it. But a stockpile of weapons that was found under a nine-year-old's bed. Now, this is remarkable for a number of reasons. But one is because the UK, United Kingdom, is famous for its what would be referred to as gun control legislation. But it's not gun control. It's gun confiscation. But here... In this stockpile were the following. There were two submachine guns. One of them, a Mac-10 submachine gun. One of them, an Agram 2000 submachine gun. A weapon used by special forces in the Balkans. And this one linked to at least six shootings, multiple attempted murders. But additionally, a range of automatic pistols. They say automatic. I'm I'm taking them at their word. They may not have been automatic. They may have been semi-automatic, as most are. But it says automatic, and there are such things. And given that they had submachine guns, I'm inclined to believe it and a shotgun, plus ammunition, hidden under the bunk beds. A nine-year-old shared the bunk beds with a (laughs) 15-year-old, right? But this was found during search for a couple young men who slaughtered a beautiful, intelligent, talented, wonderful 16-year-old black schoolgirl, Agnes Sinainakuljo. I'm mispronouncing that badly, I'm sure. I think it, I should say Sinainakuljo. Agnes. She hoped and dreamed of going to Oxford. And was on her way. But these destroyers slaughtered her as she was getting a takeout order. And one of them, Mohammed Smored, both of them were 22 years of age, both of these young men. 
Leon Dunkley, black, Mohammed Smored, Arabic. Well, Smored joked about it. It was funny the way she dropped. These two, both 22 years of age, slaughtered this girl. But gang warfare is alive and well in London as it is in Chicago. But again, astonishingly enough, this arsenal of weapons. You know, just one of these submachine guns capable of firing 1,100 rounds per minute. (laughs) Okay. Well, interestingly enough, again, there are no weapons in Britain. None for honest people, none for law-abiding people. There are none. They were all confiscated. They were made illegal. But here, years and years and years, decades afterwards, teenage gangsters, gangsters in their young 20s, are able to obtain Weapons of mass destruction, you could say. Right? So, it's just, it's inconceivable, it's unimaginable. Meanwhile, in London, at the time of this incident, there were reported to be 205 of these gangs, vicious, ruthless, murderous gangs in London with a combined membership of some 15,000 members. And the violence had reached such high levels eight years ago that teenagers are being taken by taxi to avoid being attacked. but just beyond belief. And again, this girl, just a beautiful girl. And anyway, snuffed out by these slaughterers who laugh about it. Laugh about it. Oh, but don't punish them. Well, I don't know, maybe they'll spend five years in prison. Maybe. You know, if that's all these Islamist terrorists, homegrown Islamist terrorists, who slaughter this British soldier, if that's all they get, then why should these young men get any more? I would think less, right? Maybe maybe three and a half years, something like that. Meanwhile, interestingly enough, Again, going back a ways. This goes, this goes back even further. This goes back 10 years ago. There was an ad campaign, a British ad campaign. And this particular ad campaign was aimed at girls of African and African-Caribbean heritage. Oh, my gosh, how terrible, how discriminatory to... Target an ad campaign at girls of African and African-Caribbean heritage, right? Well, this ad campaign 
is to try to keep them out of trouble. But it's interesting, isn't it, the demographics as far as what groups are being targeted here. It says something, as I will describe it, it says something about the nature of the gangs in London. Hmm. So these ads are warning these girls not to carry or hide their boyfriend's guns. You see, these gang members, it's standard operating procedure that they have guns in this nation in which law-abiding men and women and young adults are prohibited from having weapons and will be thrown away into prison for longer terms than these Islamist homegrown terrorists who murdered Lee Rigby were incarcerated, and longer terms than these who slaughtered this precious girl will be incarcerated. If you own a gun, oh my, and you're a law-abiding citizen, it's... (laughs) It's going to go very hard for you, very bad for you, because British justice is really something to behold. So these girls are being cautioned not to carry or hide their boyfriend's guns. Because there have been many incidents of these girls stashing, carrying the guns for their boyfriends. And in this particular year, 10 years ago, there were seven cases in the year preceding that, so 11 years ago, seven cases. And these girls were tried and found guilty of murders committed with these guns. So please, girls, don't do it. Just don't do it. But yes, Britain's gun laws, we need to copy our laws to follow theirs. We need to copy theirs. We need to imitate them. We need to emulate them. Why? Because in Britain, the only people legally permitted to carry a gun, they have to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they, unlike all the rest of the people in Britain, deserve to carry a gun. Okay, I've mentioned about the the good reason clause for obtaining a concealed carry permit in the state of California and other places. Good cause. You have to have good reason, good cause. Well, in Britain, you have to have such in order to obtain a gun, and it is very, very, very rare. Self-defense is not a reason. Defense of your family is not a reason. Defense of strangers is not a reason. Even as those were not sufficient reasons for me <laughs> but in California. But so these young women, they are acting as enablers, not just for boyfriends, but for intimidating gang members. Oh, well, but Britain does things right, right? Yes. Andy Walker, a TV producer, he said, I don't think kids in London feared to cross from one neighborhood to another a decade ago. Not the way they do now. And meanwhile, 
I mentioned about ghetto rap. Yes. Noise to rape by, to murder by. Well, in Britain, it's the drill rap. Brutal rap that fuels gang rape, gang murder. Disturbing, demonic. And gangs make drill videos with lyrics which glamorize violence. Murder, stabbings, rape, so on and so forth. Yes, same things that I was talking about back in 1993. (laughs) And uh, alive and well, these evils in today's UK, along with then having police go after 10-year-old girls for picking daisies and using chalk on roads and sidewalks for hopscotch. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you.